Hey, podcast listeners. It's Carmen. I gave birth and I'm back. And everyone in the Shover family is doing great in our quarantine life. Thank you to everyone who prayed for me throughout my pregnancy and, and all of it. We are doing really, really well and sincerely appreciate those of you who thought of us and prayed for us meant a lot. Uh, so just for those who were following, um, despite my best efforts to have a natural delivery, and I tried everything, I tried pineapple, I tried acupuncture, I tried massages, I walked, I did red raspberry tea, um, all of it, everything you can think of, Sophia stayed stubbornly in place, did not move, did not drop whatsoever. So I had another C-section, um, which if you're a mom and you've had a C-section before, you know that they are pretty intense. They are not the most fun you'll ever have, major abdominal surgery. Um, but, you know, overall, it was a really, really good experience, all things considered, and that was largely due to some really wonderful doctors and nurses. And speaking of doctors, if you have been paying any attention to life whatsoever at all. Like if you <laughs> are just a human being who happens to occasionally scroll the news on your phone or talk to anyone, then you are familiar with the COVID-19. You are familiar that familiar with the fact that we are in a crisis uh, fighting this strange coronavirus and that our healthcare professionals are on the very front lines of this battle. And that's why I'm really looking forward to chatting with a guest tonight. I have um, Dr. Matt Rogers here on the podcast with me to answer questions about COVID-19. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for being willing to chat with me. Um, you just finished up a shift, is that right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. How are you holding up? I'm doing well. How doing, about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. I am not an ER doctor, so I am I am less probably stressed out than you are. Um, can you give the listeners a little introduction here real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Matt Rogers. Um, I am an emergency physician. Uh, I work at a pretty busy emergency department in a small to mid-sized city in the Mountain West. All right. So as you know, I've sent you quite a few questions. Some of them are my own. Some of them are from um, other people. So we've kind of just got a bunch of things to jump into, get your insights on. But just to start, I think just as a good baseline, can you share a little bit about the nature of COVID-19 for those who somehow are unfamiliar with it? <laughs> you know, just set the record straight. Sure. What is this virus like? You know, just kind of the the basic rundown yeah, of what we're dealing with. Yep. So like you said, probably almost anybody who's paying any attention at all knows a little bit of something about the disease COVID-19. Right. Um, so COVID-19, it's a brand new disease. It just popped up a few months ago in China. Um, it's caused by the virus. The name of the virus is SARS-CoV-2. Um, and basically, it's a coronavirus, which is an RNA virus. And there's a number of other coronaviruses out there. There's four common strains of coronavirus that circulate around the world. And they basically cause the common cold. So most people listening to this have probably had a coronavirus infection at some point in the past. Additionally, there's a couple other coronaviruses, SARS and MERS, which many people have probably also heard of. Yeah. Uh, that popped up in recent years. So this is 
most closely related to the original SARS, hence the name SARS-CoV-2. What in terms of the virus and the disease that it causes, basically the virus at some point made a leap from an animal host to a human host. So the common symptoms of COVID-19, again, most people are probably already aware, but the most common symptoms are fever, cough, fatigue, shortness of breath, other symptoms that people will often describe, body aches, headaches, sore throat, uh, so things that, you know, you would commonly associate with the flu. Another symptom that kind of like losing the sense of smell, uh, people also describe losing the sense of taste, uh, but that's not everyone. That's just a, a fraction of people. Okay. Fascinating. So a lot of, you know, a lot of different information floating around about this virus in particular, obviously lots of concern over it. Um, but there's also, you know, I would say a pretty sizable number of people who are also very, um, not concerned about it um, for different reasons. You mentioned it's a lot like the flu. Um, and I know I've heard multiple times that, you know, if you're relatively healthy, this is not probably going to be fatal or particularly severe. Is that generally true? Not true? Um, just what would be your response to that that take on it? Um, that's generally true. If you're young and healthy, um, most likely you're going to recover just fine. Um, and by young and healthy, I mean 20s, 30s, 40s. Okay. Um, less than 1% of those people who get this are going to die from it. That being said, you could still end up on oxygen in the hospital for a few days. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's like the flu per se. I think it's quite a bit more severe than your typical influenza. Because obviously one thing that does seem to be true is most of the people who get it do end up, I mean, you do, they do end up being hospitalized and they do end up needing some kind of treatment, whether it's a ventilator or just being treated in a hospital for some period of time. Is that accurate? Yeah, many people do. I wouldn't say most, especially okay. among younger, otherwise healthy people. Basically, you're going to get a, a wide spectrum of, of disease um, with COVID-19, there's going to be people who get infected with COVID-19 and they never have any symptoms at all. And they walk around and they have no idea that they even have it. Gotcha. There's going to be some people who, you know, they just get a little bit of a sore throat. And then a few days later, they feel fine. And then there's going to be people who feel like they have the flu. That's probably going to be most people. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have people who develop more severe complications. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah, it's pretty hard to know for sure that you even necessarily have it given those circumstances because there's a lot of different possibilities. Correct. Yeah. And you could be infected and have no symptoms or minor symptoms and not realize that you're infected, but you could still be passing it around to other people. Gotcha. And that's what makes it so particularly dangerous. Is that Correct. what people, Yeah. Okay. Another question someone asked me, which I hadn't really considered, um, and maybe maybe we're not sure of that yet since it's, like you said, it's kind of a weird new leap from what we've previously seen of this kind of coronavirus, but is there a point when people are like in the clear? Like if you have this, if you get COVID-19 and you recover, will you get it again? Or do you have some kind of immunization from it? Is there any point where you can like stop worrying about getting it or not so much? That's actually a great question. And the answer really is we don't know. Just since okay. this is so new there's there's not a lot of great data out there telling us whether 
you can get reinfected later? And if so, is it less severe? Is it more severe? Is it even possible to get reinfected? Um, there's some data that I've seen to suggest that you can get reinfected, but those are very small numbers. And at least the cases that I saw, they tend to not be that severe, but really the answer is we don't know. Okay. Okay. So like you said, you are an ER physician. You are working in a fairly large hospital. Maybe just give us like a glimpse into what it's like doing that right now in the middle of this crisis, basically. Just because again, like, like uh, I said earlier, obviously there is a lot of concern about COVID-19, but again, there's also this very real portion of the population that thinks that this is either overblown at best or at the most kind of uh, extreme version of that is that this is a hoax, that this isn't real, this is made up, um, this is basically, I guess, like a, co- a government conspiracy. Um, what would you say to that given your experience? Um, I would I would say that that is completely false. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely something that pretty much I think any emergency physician anywhere in the country has seen this or knows someone who has seen it. It's definitely out there. And I think part of the reason that a lot of people are kind of clinging on to the whole idea of it being a hoax is just the fact that the average person has a difficult time understanding really the concept of exponential growth. And Mm. so they're looking at absolute case numbers and absolute fatality numbers, which you know, up until recently and even now um, are actually smaller than the flu, for example. So, right. you know, right now something around 2,500 people in the U.S. have died from this disease, which is less than a typical flu season. What they don't understand is that, you know, we're still just really in the very early stages. And so those absolute numbers really aren't what are important. It's really, you know, the transmissibility of the disease, the prevalence and the virulence. Gotcha. So yeah, it's that that exponential factor that's really differentiating this from, say, like the flu obviously is a number that gets thrown around a lot. But I've also seen, you know, a few years ago, there was the H1N1. Um, Mm. I don't think that was considered a pandemic. Maybe it was, but I don't remember that. Um, But obviously, lots more people died by the time it was said and done. But we're just in the beginning of this. And so we don't know what those final numbers are going to be. And I think the H1N1, so just for comparison's sake, um, you know, in fairness, early on with H1N1, we were still kind of trying to pin down exactly what the fatality rate was. So it was in the media a lot, um, not nearly as much as this, obviously. But when all was said and done, the overall case fatality rate for H1N1 was something around 0.1%. So that's roughly an order of magnitude different than COVID-19. I think a better comparison would probably be the, the 1918 flu pandemic that had a case fatality rate of somewhere between 2 and 4%, which okay. is really what the numbers are looking like for COVID-19 right now. Now, having said that, I think when all is said and done, um, the case fatality rate for COVID-19 is probably going to end up somewhere around 1% once we start to figure out how many asymptomatic cases are walking around out there. But remember, the 1918 flu pandemic killed tens of millions of people. So it was a much bigger deal than H1N1. And I, my concern is that COVID-19 is going to look more like 
1918 flu pandemic than H1N1 if we don't do anything, which right. fortunately, you know, governments on, around the world have been very aggressively responding to this. So yeah. I think really the irony here is that if all of these drastic measures that we're taking, if they work like they're supposed to, this might end up looking more like a really bad flu. You know, we might be looking at 100,000, 200,000 people dying in the United States, which, you know, would be bad, but not as catastrophic as some of the earlier estimates. And so the people now who are saying that this is a hoax and that this is just the flu, you know, they're going to be saying, well, look, it was basically just the flu, but that would be despite Uh, all of the measures that were taken. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. If it worked that way. No, that's very good. I think honestly, of our entire conversation, that piece might honestly be the most important is just clearing up this is real. There is a real danger to it. Um, there are things we can do to potentially mitigate it. And so it's important to not just, you know, blow it off as not a big deal or a totally made up thing, <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. I, I feel yes. like that is, le- I see it less now. I don't know, but you know, yeah. the internet, you can I, see I all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. It seems like that idea is fading away. You never know about it. So a big thing we keep hearing about is the shortage of masks and just like, you know, overcrowding and, you know, overextended staff. Is that that's Mm -hmm. true of where of your workplace? Are you seeing those things? I think those things really just depend a lot on where you are specifically. There's definitely been a lot in the media about PPE shortages, people running out of masks and gowns and gloves. Thankfully, that's not something I've had to deal with. Yeah, I wouldn't say we've had to deal with overcrowding at this point, but again, a week from now, two weeks from now, you never know what the future is going to bring. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I would say that you know my group and my hospital have done an outstanding job of you know getting us everything that we need. Awesome. So, uh, and having said that, I think we're all aware that the shortages are happening. So everybody, doctors and nurses, are trying really hard to conserve what we have and be thoughtful about what we're using. Very good. So. That's good to hear, though. That's good that, you know, that you're in a relatively large hospital and you're not yet experiencing that. You know, that's a good thing. Okay, we've actually answered some of these in answering these other ones. So let's see here. So you mentioned in a different answer to a different question that, you know, world governments are responding pretty drastically. You know, the United States is starting to really kind of pick up speed on doing different things. What is just your your general take on the measures that you are familiar with? So I think the government, you know, speaking for the United States, I think the government response has been about what I would expect it to be. I think it varies quite a bit from state to state. On the national level, I mean, President Trump, I mean, I would say I would give a a B plus. I feel like he seems to be listening to the right people for the most part. I think Dr. Fauci who we yeah. see on television a lot nowadays. I think he's been really great. And I actually read a, an interview with him maybe a week ago or so where he was saying, that, you know, President Trump obviously has a very unusual and unique style about him, but <laughs> he actually pretty much anytime Dr. Fauci asks him for something or tells him to do something, he ends up doing it. So I think for the most part, he's listening to the right people. I think Good. some of his earlier statements downplaying the virus. And I thought this at the time as well. I think those were misguided statements. And I think, you know, maybe the government could have been a little more aggressive about closing things down sooner. Um, Not just international travel, but, you know, domestic flights, for example, closing schools sooner. But, you know, it's, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback 
I think really, I don't know about you, but I feel like the turning point really was when sports started canceling. That was yeah. when people, the average Joe started taking it seriously. Like, yeah. You know, when the NBA was at season, suddenly people pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you say that, I think that is, that does kind of mark like a, <laughs> like I remember my husband looking at his phone and being like, whoa like you know like i think a lot of people were still kind of holding out hope that you know maybe this is just gonna blow over but oh yeah that was i think that was when it kind of got real for a lot of people right well and i think you know for a while there i myself i just kind of i all i'd seen about it was that you know it was relatively no low numbers it's like the flu i kind of just thought oh well you know i was just sort of going off of very generic information about it and then yeah once schools start closing once it starts to get like, don't yeah. leave your house. <laughs> and it was sort of like, all right. And absolutely. Get I mean, serious. I was I was following it pretty closely back in January and February. And there was a point in mid-February, I want to say, where it looked like the cases were leveling off in China. And there were only, you know, a few dozen or a few hundred cases in other countries. And it really, I was thinking at the time, okay, it looks like they're going to contain it just like we did with SARS, just like we did with MERS. And then once that outbreak hit in Italy, there was just another spike. And that was, I think, you know, mid to late February when yeah. a lot of people start to realize that this was going to become a lot more widespread. Yeah. Well, no. Well, I'm I'm heartened to hear you say that, you know, you feel like the government's, at least here in the United States, is, you know, doing pretty good. I think a B plus is is a good a good rating coming from an a physician. So that is good to know. Obviously, there's a lot of yeah. conflicting takes out there about whether, you know, sure. Trump is going to kill us all or this is yeah. too much, too much intervention, I mean, this or that. So I should clarify, there's, you could ask a dozen ER doctors and you'd probably get a dozen ah, different answers. Sure, so. sure. <laughs> sure. All is... the opinions expressed here are my <laughs> opinions only. Oh, yes. It's an important disclaimer. That's <laughs> True all the time yes, on my absolutely. podcast, so I do don't not worry. speak for my employer or my hospital. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, uh, very good. Well, so as far as you know, we've talked about the government response, and people should take this seriously. And obviously, sort of the main thing that people have been advised to do is practice social distancing. As a physician, how would you describe you know the best best practices for social distancing? I know some people are kind of distinguishing they're sort of making up terms like light social distancing or moderate social distancing um, oh yeah you know what what is the type of social distance distancing that generally we should all be engaging in so i think the more strict our social distancing the shorter our social distancing will be mm. so people are constantly speculating about you know when is this going to end when are we going to be able to go back out in public And I think the answer to that question is how well we do at what we're supposed to be doing. So what I think social distancing should look like for most people is you pretty much stay home all the time. You only go out for the absolute essentials, which for most people is going to be going to the grocery store and maybe going to the pharmacy, obviously going to, to the hospital if you're ill. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with going outside to get some exercise as long as you're able to keep a distance from people. So obviously if you live in a big city and there's only a few city parks, that could be problematic. But if you're able to get out into, you know, a more isolated area and go for a run or go for a bike ride, I think that's also good. Awesome. Okay. But like, as far as, you know, um, like for example, I have a chiropractor appointment that I really want to go to. I should probably not go to that. That's what you're, that's what you're telling me. I would say probably not. Um, (laughs) I mean, I canceled 
my dentist appointment for next week. I canceled that several weeks ago. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, and, and honestly, yeah. most clinics and, um, you know, dentist offices and various other uh, medical clinics are, you know, either closing down completely or switching to only, you know, more emergency cases mm-hmm. or switching to telehealth. Right. Which I think is good because, you know, I think most of us realize anytime you go to the doctor and you're sitting in the waiting room, that's just a, it's a cesspool of disease. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's very true. Gotcha. All right. So enough with this, this light to moderate social distancing. We're, we're talking yeah. more, more severe social distancing. I mean, distancing. yeah, you can keep that up if you want, but then the, you know, the social distancing might be lasting five months instead of one. So yeah, yeah. I don't no, recommend that's- that's a good good to know. I'm definitely I'm tired of the social distancing, but I I appreciate what you said. I will take it take it seriously. Have you at all looked into the effectiveness of some of, you know, different treatments that people are kind of talking about, speculating about? Um, I know there was the one that caused a big stir because those people ingested some fish tank cleaner, um, (laughs) chloroquine, I forget how you say it. I'm sure you can say it correctly. A lot of talk about hydroxychloroquine, um, which is an anti-malarial medication. It's used for a few other reasons as well. I think I've taken it. I got malaria once. I'm pretty sure that's what I took. (laughs) So worked, worked really well for that. I'm glad (laughs) you didn't drink I'm glad you didn't drink fish cleaner. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, that did not cross my mind to to drink expired fish cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, any, any um, I don't know, any thoughts on hydroxychloroquine so far? Are you, are you optimistic like others are or still too soon to be optimistic? What's your kind of thoughts on um, that I would say optimistic. So the short answer is that all of these treatments that are being proposed, and there's a lot of them floating around out there, um, there's not a lot of great evidence for them just because this is a brand new disease. So we don't have a lot of good studies yet. There is some pretty promising preliminary data for medications like hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin you've probably also seen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's relatively weak data, but it's promising data. And I mean, if I caught COVID-19, I would probably want hydroxychloroquine. Some of the other stuff floating around there on the internet that you see have you seen D, vitamin, vitamin C, C yeah. and zinc, things like that. I don't think any of those are going to be a magic bullet by any means. Yeah. Obviously, vitamins are good, but right. vitamin C is one that comes up often just because, you know, there's been a lot of studies on that in other areas like yeah. sepsis, for example. But I mean, COVID-19, it's, it's basically a viral pneumonia. And we know a lot about treating other types of viral pneumonia. And so vitamin C, just for example, you know, there's really no high quality evidence to support IV vitamin C, for example, mm. in viral pneumonia more generally. But um, certainly eat healthy and take your vitamins. Right, right. That can't hurt, right? <laughs> it's not going not gonna to make right. it worse. It's um, not going to be a cure-all. Yes. Um, one question, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, it's kind of off the cuff unrelated, but I know I've seen some interesting things in the news about different, I believe, I think it's usually governors. That's what I've seen. The, uh, I just know there's a meme floating around, three different governors kind of taking measures to limit people's access to hydroxychloroquine. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, familiar with it, or what's happening there? Anything? Um. I'm not familiar with those specific governors or those specific cases. Yeah. But, you know, anytime you have a drug that's out there and available and suddenly people are saying, hey, you know, this looks like it might be promising against COVID-19, suddenly that's going to just 
fly off the pharmacy shelves. You're going to have every, you know, doctor and urgent care in the country prescribing it for everybody who has an upper respiratory infection. Mm. So I think, you know, at least in the short term, until the supply gets ramped up, maybe reserving that for uh, the more severe cases, there's perhaps some rationale to that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So assuming that's the reason why they're doing it. Yeah. That would make sense. Got it. Okay. Um, Oh, and then I should ask this. I was just talking to my father-in-law about it. There's also some speculation that um, heat, warmer weather, uh, just general heat in general has some, some Mm -hmm. positive effects in treating this. I don't know. Does that have some truth to it? Or, you know, I think a lot of people have the attitude that summer's coming. Maybe that means less concern because this virus can't live or I don't, I don't know, not a doctor. So just throwing out my, <laughs> my layman's understanding of how this is going to work. I mean, I definitely hope so. And I've seen some of the studies that you're referring to again, we it's, it's a brand new disease. So yeah. we really don't know if it's going to die off in the summer. If it does, it's probably not going to disappear completely. You know, even influenza, it tends to be a seasonal illness. Right. It right. It's every winter, but even in the summer, you know, there are cases of influenza out there. Yeah. I mean, just looking geographically, if you look at the world right now, the tropical regions tend to not be hit as hard. It's hard to say if that's because, you know, those countries just aren't testing as much. But I think there is at least some preliminary data that I've seen to suggest that COVID-19 doesn't tend to spread as easily in hotter and more humid climates. Okay. Awesome. But yeah, so it sounds like maybe just a major takeaway based off of a lot of these questions that people asked me to ask you is it's still pretty early. We can be optimistic about things, but there's not sort of this like secret knowledge of a cure that's being hidden from all of us. It's just, yeah. I mean, if there is, it's being hidden from me too. So (laughs) I'd like to know that. Yeah, exactly. They're hiding it from everybody. Okay. Well, so my last question for you will be one that will end on a on a very hopeful note. Obviously, this is kind of a very scary time for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, people are losing loved ones. And in some cases, they don't even get to be with them and see them. And that's tragic. And, you know, there's just a lot of very weird, sad, scary things happening. Are there any silver linings in this? Anything anything good we can take away? Anything we can leave the listener with or <laughs> hope or yeah, whatever? Think, <laughs> what what um, what would you say? Um, silver linings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, certainly. I guess on a personal level, you know, it's obviously unfortunate for many people being out of work, yeah. kids being out of school. So I would say just try to make the most of the family time that's being forced upon you. Um, I think another silver lining would just be, um, I think it's been really encouraging just to see the community kind of come together. Obviously, small businesses are being hit really hard, yet we still have, you know, local coffee shops sending free donuts and coffee to the emergency room staff. That's we awesome. have local tattoo parlors that are donating their gloves, um, local dentist offices that are donating their masks. So, yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of uh, good to be seen. Yes. Um, I think in terms of the disease itself, um, I want to mention, I think there's some silver linings there as well. I mean, as, as bad as it is, I think it's um, it's easy to imagine a novel virus like COVID-19 with the transmissibility of COVID-19, but more with the lethality of a disease like SARS which killed about 9% of people who were infected, or MERS, 
another very, very similar virus that killed over 30% of people that were infected. Um, so again, as bad as this is, we're probably looking at something like a 1% fatality rate, yeah. which could be much worse. Um, I think another silver lining with this virus is it's very easy to imagine a similar virus emerging that rather than having a propensity to kill old and sick people, it's easy to imagine a virus emerging that mostly affects young children because a lot of mm -hmm. viruses are worse for young children. So yeah. viruses like RSV, for example, tend to be very, very dangerous for young children, but don't tend to affect adults as badly. So, yeah. you know, with COVID-19, the elderly, those with significant underlying medical conditions, the fatality rate might be something on the order of 10 to 15 percent. But it's easy to imagine a virus like COVID-19 with a mortality of 10 to 15 percent, but only for those under the age of one, for example. So basically, it is not as bad as it could be. Definitely bad, but yeah. it's it's easy to imagine it being worse, I guess, is yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. If that counts as a silver <laughs> Hey, uh, a silver lining is anything you can find. That's my definition what it is. It's got to search through and reach out and take whatever you can. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for being willing oh, to absolutely. chat and give me your thoughts and insights. It was really nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. All right. Wasn't Matt pretty awesome? He has a very like soothing voice, so I feel like that helps all of us feel better about this, even though there's some scary stuff out there happening. I'm going to record another podcast episode soon, and if you missed if you have missed my earlier more um, rant type style episodes, like if you if you scroll back to the like first no apologies episodes, you'll find some fiery uh, Jeremiah type episodes. If you've missed those, um, you are going to really like this next one because after a few weeks in quarantine and a lot of very annoying conversations on social media, I have got some thoughts for you all. And I think you will enjoy them. So get ready. Excited about it. I've missed doing those types of episodes, um, even though I love having guests. So it's, I like both, but I think it's time for one of those. Um, please don't forget to do all the things. Go like Stasios on Facebook. Stasios is S-T-A-S-E-O-S dot -E -S net um, is the website. You can find us on Facebook. Subscribe, leave us a review if you like the podcast. I really need to re-record the little part of my intro where I do this because the current one sounds like I hate my life. Like if you go back and listen to like the previous episode where I introduce this podcast, it sounds like I could not be more unhappy and I don't know why. I think because I wrote it down and then said it and did not bring the energy. So I'm going to re-record that. I'll, it'll have all the ways you can support Stacios and I will sound happier about it because... This is fun. Um, podcasts are hard, guys. So thanks for listening and I will see you soon.